Morning, folks. As Charlie mentioned, my name is Chris McCooey. I'm, uh, oh, what am I around here? I'm one of the worship leaders, uh, an elder guy, all-around church mouse, I guess. One of those, one of the, one of the many around here that has many hats. Um, and uh, I am glad to be up here, honored to be uh, sharing the Word of God with you this morning. Also really, really happy to have my notes with me. Last time I came up here, I was like, I, oh, wait, where are my notes? <laughs> really awkward moment where I ran off to the, to the green room on the side there to look for my notes, grabbed them. Anyway. Um, okay, so we're going to, we're, uh, like Charlie said, we're, we're still continuing in the book of Acts. And to really confuse you all, um, my main passage is not in Acts at all. It's in Luke. So uh, we're going to throw that up on the screen. The point here this morning, uh, we're working, we're still on, I think this is the fourth week, we're talking about Pentecost and the importance of the gift of the Holy Spirit that was given and what that means for us. And I'm going to read a passage from Luke here, and there's really one main point that I'm trying to pull out from it, and then I'm going to sort of do what that point says. All right, you see what I mean. Uh, Luke 24, 44 to 53. Then he said to them, that's Jesus, these are my words that I spoke to you, while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Wouldn't you like to have been there? Uh, and said to them, thus it is written that the, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he, went, he, then he led them out as far as Bethany, uh, and lifting up his hands, I'll take that as an amen, uh, when, while he blessed them, he parted from them uh, and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. So the point that I want to bring out here is that Jesus figured that it was worth looking at the Old Testament to get a broader, better understanding of what was going on at the time uh, with, the, with the, uh, the death and resurrection of Jesus and now the coming Holy Spirit. And that a lot of the time, the things that are sort of happening when we go back and look at it in the New Testament, they get a lot of depth from going back and looking at how they were spoken of and promised and symbolized in the Old Testament. And sometimes through the typology, it's fancy, fancy uh, uh, theological word, just meaning something that was a prototype of what was going to come in the New Testament. And there's so, so much of it that is in the Old Testament that helps us understand what's in the New Testament. So that's where I'm going this morning. Um, uh, so Charlie has spent the last few weeks uh, convincing us that the gift of the Holy Spirit is essential and crucial for us. And, he, and, and we've been spending time looking at, at Pentecost and what that means. And he's expressed also a, a discontent, not a disapproval, a discontent with where he feels that he is and, and just the church in general, when you look at the book of Acts, I don't think it's a negative thing. I, I think it's a, when you, look at the, when you look at the book of Acts and you go, wow, they were living that. I want to get there. And that, that discontent that pushes you to go, God, is there more? Am I missing something? Could I get some more of that? I got bits and pieces, but can I have some more? Um, like, there's wild stuff in the book of Acts. I mean, 
wild stuff. Like the, the, whole, the whole Acts 2 thing that started off, it, the whole thing was based on, well, it started off with a mighty rushing wind that came in the place, or at least a sound of a mighty rushing wind. And then this fire that came in and split up and was like floating over people's heads, it started resting on people's heads. And then they started speaking languages that they don't know. God had come into the place and stolen the show. And then Peter just gets up and explains what's happening that everybody was talking about and nobody was ignoring. They couldn't ignore it because it was just so, what in the world is going on? And that's how this whole thing started. God stealing the show. God being God, God being evident. Uh, that, that is... And, and, you know, to, to Charlie's point, that's not what I'm seeing in my daily life. I think that there are many believers around the world who are experiencing things at another level from what I'm experiencing. But that's what I want to go, go to, and that's the model that was set for me. Um, not, not, not just that, but there was also this mission that they had to accomplish, that the, that the early church was given. And the mission was the same one as the mission that was given to Jesus, except even bigger. Not smaller, bigger. So, so Jesus had the, uh, of course, I'm speaking um, not about the, the redemption aspect of, God, of Jesus' ministry, not where he died for our sins and took, took our our sin uh, upon himself and, and atoned for it and gave us salvation. I'm talking about the rest of his ministry where he went through the towns preaching the kingdom of God and uh, healing and delivering and saving. That thing was given to the early church as well. So let's go, just go back to Luke 4 and you can see what I mean. The language in Luke and Acts often looks very similar. They're, they're very similar books. Why? Because they were... There were uh, Acts is the sequel of, of Luke. It was written by a doctor, Luke, who, uh, who just, he started off in the ministry of Jesus, and then he continues. He's writing to a guy named Theophilus, who was probably some guy in Rome. We don't really know much about him. Uh, and then he continues in the book of, uh, with his book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, or some people would call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Um, but in Luke 4, you can see sort of a foreshadowing of Pentecost, but it's on Jesus. So, so uh, Luke 4, 14, 19, Jesus started his ministry with the Spirit of the Lord on him. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm not, I haven't got the... Yeah, Jesus returned in the power uh, of the Spirit to Galilee, verse 14, and a report about him went through the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, um, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and, uh, and found the place where it was written. This was just handed to him, right? In verse 18, he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. What does Jesus need the Holy Spirit for? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and, and recovering of the sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus went about doing these things. And then in Acts 2, at the beginning, that was the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Sometimes that's called the kingdom manifesto. Uh, that's the presence of God or the, the presence of the kingdom of God has now come near. And you see the same thing in the book of Acts. The Spirit of the Lord is, a, is upon them. 
calling them to do the same thing, but even bigger in the sense that Jesus' ministry was within Israel, and now they're called to take it to the ends of the world. Um, so so there's a, they need some power. That's my point here. They, they need it. Um, so do we, because we're just continuing in that same thing. We're still in that same age, what's known as the church age. We're, we're still... We still have that mission of bringing the gospel to the ends of the world. Um, so we don't need the power less than they did. So, um, but when we look at this, it often just looks so foreign to us, doesn't it? Especially in a West, Western culture and then, you know, throw in a little bit of skepticism, you throw in some exaggerations from some people, uh, so from some Christians who will say, who will exaggerate miracles in some cases or lie about them. And we've had, you know, we all can find stories of famous televangelists who were lying or not living up to what they, what they said. Uh, and you go, man, Book of Acts, my experience. Um, and one of the ways that people have dealt with this in the past is to come up with a theology that says, well, the power isn't really for us. Um, that, as Charlie's already mentioned, that is not in the Bible. That's not true. The power was intended for us. Another way that people have, have uh, discussed, and I think this one is actually uh, much closer to the truth, is in Acts 3, Peter says to repent so that times of refreshing would come from the Holy Spirit, sort of suggesting that there are waves, that there's times when there's more and times when there's less, uh, which could be the case. God is sovereign. He can do what he wants. But overall... We need more, right? Can, does that make sense? Overall, we need more. What they experienced is not what I'm experiencing, and it's not the book that's the problem, and I want more. And so what I'm trying to do here is to, is to encourage a cry for more, and how, did, how I'm going to do that is to, is to go back into the Old Testament and see and, and show that this wasn't a side issue. This is really defining the people of God. It's a promise for us that if we ask, he will give. He's a good father. He loves to give. He loves to give the Holy Spirit, right? So, um, and let's just, let's just think of how, okay, you've got, the Bible is 66 books, a whole bunch of authors, big debate of how many there are, 40-something, whatever. Um, oh, and it's written over about 1,500 years or so. But it's one book with one author at the same time, right? That makes sense? It's one book and it's one author. And, and what I mean is that it's a book written by God in the background behind all, behind all of these authors with one story. And in fact, there's a storyline that unites the whole thing. And you can distill it out and you can say, what is the, actual, what is the Bible really all about? And, and, and if I were to distill it into a, into a phrase, I'd say it like this, God is looking to live among a people of his own, where God the Father can glorify Jesus through the power of the Spirit. Let me just say that again. The, if you to distill out what is the point that God is working on throughout the Bible that ties it all together, God is making a people of his own where God the Father can glorify Jesus by the power of the Spirit. Uh, and, and that story is symbolized by all kinds of things and all kinds of stories uh, and f just like an author would do when he's writing a book um, he uses symbols and foreshadowing and what uh, what you might find in a video game you'd call it an easter egg uh, uh, and 
In fact, when we, you'll see Easter egg is probably the right word. We're going to talk about Passover. So um, uh, there's things that lead up to Passover or that lead up to Pentecost that make you go, oh, this was part of the plan from the very beginning. Uh, and, and I'm doing this to build our faith and also to, to, to encourage that cry, Lord, give us more. So, um, yeah, so uh, let me just give you an example of how, how this, how God, he looks like an, it looks like he's an author writing a story, not just, it's not just a description of a bunch of things that happen, but there's like a, there's like a, an author who's telling things. Sometimes it's ironic, sometimes it's through symbolism. Just think about um, one of the things that happened in, in um, Pentecost. Pentecost is the, uh, it's known in Hebrew as the festival of Shavuot, Sorry if I'm mispronouncing it. I think I was close. Um, Shavuot is the Hebrew name. Pentecost is the Greek name. Pentecost just means 50. So it's 50 days after, after the Passover. And uh, the people are, the, it's one of the three big pilgrimage festivals of, of uh, the high holidays of Judaism, right? There's, there's three of them. There's, the, there's uh, Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles, where they celebrate living in the, in the desert. And if you go to Snowden, I used to live in Snowden area. Have you ever seen that? A lot of, a lot of the, the Jews will have, um, they'll build out with branches and stuff on their balcony, and they'll live there and, in, and eat there uh, in, their little, in their little hut to celebrate Sukkot. There's the uh, Passover, which, um, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, and there's Shavuot, or Pentecost, which was 50 days after the, after the Passover. And, and it was one of those days where there's, uh, it's a pilgrimage festival in that they were supposed, the Jews were supposed to go to Jerusalem. And so there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people who, who come to Jerusalem for this festival. And that's what's happening at the time of Pentecost, when Peter stands up and you know, the Holy Spirit is given out. It's the people have been gathered. And, um, and Jesus, before this, back in, in John, he had been telling his disciples to pray for the harvest, to pray, for, pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers into harvest. He said that the, labor, the, the harvest is plentiful. Uh, and what he was talking about is people coming into the kingdom of God. And what's really strange, or what, what's really kind of funny, that makes it look like God is telling a story, is that, is that Shavuot, or Pentecost, is the festival of the harvest. Right? So it's the festival of the harvest. All the people are there, and it turns out, Peter preaches a sermon. There's 3,000 people who come into the kingdom of God right there. They're the harvest. I mean, just, you see the irony how God works things out, like as if he's telling his own story the way he wants to with real people. Um, uh, I'm going to look at, at two big stories from the, from the history of, of uh, the people of Israel. One of them, let's start off with Moses at, at the burning bush. And that is in... Exodus chapter 4, we'll start off at verse 1, and I'll just, I'll just pray here before we go any further. Lord, I just ask you to, to like you did with the, the, the disciples and your followers at, in that passage that we read in Luke, Lord, would you open our minds to understand the scriptures? Just open our minds. Help us understand where you're going with this and build our faith and that desire for more of you. Amen. So Exodus 4, verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the, 
priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, which is also known as Sinai, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now, the, the story goes on from there. Uh, just summarize quickly. He gives him the message. He says, well, first of all, you're standing on holy ground. Why is it holy? Because God's there. Um, two, I have heard and seen the cries of the people, of, the, of my people, the Hebrews, who have been in slavery for hundreds of years now, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to bring them out by my power because I care about them. Uh, and, he's, and he's saying, I'm going to, by my power, I'm going to make them into a nation. He doesn't say make a nation at that point. He says he's going to give them a land. Um, and he said, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to, is to go, go to Pharaoh, tell him, uh, let my people go, and then come back to me here on the mountain, Mount Sinai, and um, they're all going to worship. So he's talking about 600,000 people, the, the Hebrews, right? Um, and let me just talk a second about that burning bush, because that's the, that's the weird part. That's the crazy part. That's the part that, that kind of ties this with Pentecost, you know, with the fire that came to, came to rest over their heads. Um, this, this bush that was on fire, think about, okay, I'm a, I'm a chemist, so I'll use, I use chemist language for this. When a tree is burning, what's happening is that you've got the, the carbon, you've got the, you've got the fibers uh, of the wood and the chains of carbon, whatever that's in there, uh, that are reacting with air. Catalyze, well, it's, it's being encouraged by all the heat from, from a fire, but, it's, but it, uh, what's happening is that that reaction with air is releasing energy as it produces CO2 and, well, carbon dioxide and water, right? It's releasing energy. In other words, the energy, the source of the energy is the tree. That's what's happening when it's burning up. And here, that's not what's happening. The source of the energy is not the tree. And that's what's weird. And that's what, you're, that's what he's supposed to notice. This fire is burning without any help. And that is a message to Moses. I'm here going to do all this stuff, and it is not going to take your power at all. You are not the source of this. You're just a bush. It's like there's nothing more normal and unweird than a bush on a mountain. And that's what you are, Moses. But I am the fire burning with my own power and my own strength. I'm going to do this with you. Now, it looks like it is, from a distance, it looks like it should be burning up. That's because God has chosen to work with this. In, in this case, he's chosen to be on the tree or he has chosen to work with Moses. But that doesn't mean that Moses is the source of power. And Moses is trying to work through this and he goes... But God, and I mean, just if you think of what God is telling him to do, go to the military superpower of the day, tell them, you've got 600,000 people doing free labor for you, and they're coming with me out to the mountain. No problem, right? That's going to go awesome. And then, and then you're going to have to feed and water those people until they get to a new land, and it's probably inhabited, and you're going to have to find a way to kick them out and then establish them as a people there. And Moses' answer to this, get this, Moses' answer, his complaint wasn't, that's too hard to do. It's like, God, I'm not very good at public speaking. And God's like, 
What? Okay, so let's just say I made you awesome at public speaking. Is that going to make the rest of it easy? No, no. It's like this, you know, the, what I said, the mission, should you choose to accept and should you choose to accept it? Does anybody know the movie? It's mission impossible. It's mission, you can't do this stuff. The call is too big. It's too big, you can't do it. And that's his message to it. And you don't have to. The fire is there and doesn't require burning you up to do it. Um, and so his message to, to him through this fire is, I'm here to dwell with you, but I'm the one with all the power. Um, and so Moses finally gets it. Uh, actually, there's one point where... <laughs> The one thing he should be afraid of <laughs> is that fire turning against him. It says that when, when Moses is like, no, God, I'm not going to do this. Uh, it says that the fire of God was kindled against Moses. Now, if you're a bush and there's fire on you. Yeah, anyway. Um, so, so let's fast forward a little bit. And remember that, that, that flame thing. Think of, just relate that in your mind to Pentecost. Right? Okay. So, um, uh, and I'll get back to that. So fast forward a little bit. You got Passover. Now, Passover, this is worthy of many sermons. I don't know how much of, how much of this you've already heard or seen, but Passover is, is one of those things that is so rich with symbolism for Christians when you're, when you're understanding Easter. Um, but, but basically what happened was, okay, so Moses goes down, and he's got the power of God, and they do all, and, and there's those plagues. He says, you know, let my people go or else, and then each time there's a plague, and he goes back, and the last plague was actually a judgment of God on Egypt for when uh, Pharaoh had killed off the, uh, the male children of the Hebrews because he was scared that they were going to get too numerous, or numerous uh, and they were going to be a problem. And what he does is, is he says, okay, I'm going to send an angel to kill the firstborn of all the Egyptians, but if, if you take the blood of a lamb, you kill a lamb for supper, and you take the, the blood of it and paint your doorposts with it, then the, then the angel that's, that's killing the firstborn of the Egyptians, it will pass over you, and that's what the word Passover means, right? Uh, it'll pass over you and you will not suffer that. And that's what happens. Uh, there's grief, there's wailing and mourning, and the people of Israel are, or the Hebrews are allowed to leave. Uh, I'll skip the whole Red Sea thing where Pharaoh, you know, has, he, he's sad that he let them go and all that stuff. But, but uh, long story short, he gets to, Moses gets all these people, these, these Hebrew slaves who are now free, he gets them out into the desert at Mount Sinai. And at Sinai, this is where the, the, the burning bush was, right, on Mount Sinai. And now this mountain, God comes down. He's going to meet them. And, and, uh, and I think that people were thinking about this on Pentecost, and I'll tell you why in a minute. There's a, there's a, a key that, that links it together. But God is coming down to meet them. Uh, and I'm just going to go to Exodus 19. And this is, remember why I said if you were try to distill the Bible out to the essential, what is the thing that ties the whole story together? It's that God is making a people of his own. Here, let's look at Exodus 19. Verses 3 to 6. While Moses went up to God, uh, the, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus 
You shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you as on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is a major defining moment in the people of Israel. This isn't, this isn't a side story. This is it. This is, this is where they received the law that, that defines them as a nation. So to define a nation, you need the people, you need a land and a law, ties them together. That, he's making a nation, right? Um, and he's now giving them the law, uh, written, you know, the, the, the stone tablets and all that and the whole thing, um, and saying, you are my people. I will dwell with you. By my power, I will build you into a nation. Uh, you're mine, my treasured possession. Do you get that? This isn't a political statement for God. This is my treasured possession. This is a heart thing. This is the love of God. He wants his people, right? Um, but what's really striking to me, you know, God came down in fire and there's smoke all over the place. And there's, there's need to keep in mind, God gave the law at this point. And, and we're not under the law. We're under grace and, and, and grace came through Jesus and all that. And, but I just want to stick with the symbols here. Um, that, that fire that came down, you understand the timing of this. I didn't realize this before, but the timing of this is that it's 50 days after they got out from Passover. It's 50 days. You know what that means? This is the first Pentecost. God descends on the mountain. The fire of God is there. And what's he saying? I'm going to build you into a nation by my power because you're my treasured possession. This is Shavuot. Now, if you look up Shavuot uh, on Wikipedia, you'll see that, it, that it's two things. It's the, it's the harvest festival, and it's also the festival where, where they celebrate the giving of the law because of this. God came down with a fire, just like you see in, in Pentecost, um, and he says, you're my people. I'm building you into a nation. You're my treasured possession, and I'm going to build it by my power. And this is the message that carries all the way into Pentecost. And Peter picks up on this later on, right? Some of you are going, wait, I know that, I know that language from the New Testament. And in 1 Peter 2, 9, 10, 1 Peter 2, 9, 10, Peter, who was the spokesman for, at, at Pentecost, when he's writing a note later, he's writing a, a letter to, to, uh, to Christians all around, uh, he, he says these words, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. You, you, you believers in Jesus, that's you. He's applying what God said to the people of Israel then, now to believers in Jesus. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Um, so let, let's just tie that all together, okay? It's actually pretty incredible when you think of God, the, the story writer. When you go, okay, so we had the Passover where um, the, lamb, the blood of a lamb 
protected them from the judgment of God, and they were freed from their captivity, brought out and met God 50 days later on the mountain who came down in a fire and said, I'm going to, by my power, I'm going to make you a people and dwell among you. Right? That's the Old Testament. New Testament. Jesus is crucified at Passover, who is described often in the Bible as our lamb, uh, the, the sacrificial lamb or the Passover lamb. Uh, at Passover, he's killed. And by his blood and by his death, we are given freedom from sin and brought, uh, and brought out of slavery to sin. And then 50 days later, at Pentecost, this fire comes down, rests on people's head, and God begins building the people of God anew. Do, do you see the parallels here? It's, it's kind of hard to miss now, isn't it? Um, God was telling a story. In the, in the Old Testament, he was foretelling the story. Um, so, so I want to I go jump, uh, just switch gears. And that, that's one of the major, the major defining stories of the people of God of the Old Testament. But there's another story that is, it's kind of a sidetrack story, but it's a type of what happened at, at Pentecost. And when, when theologians use the word type, what they mean is like a prototype. And there's a similarity in the story that speaks of some, another truth in the New Testament. So, so in this case, um, I want to look at the story of Elijah and Elisha. And it's at the end of the ministry of uh, Elijah. Elijah has been, this is, this is after the time of David. Um, Israel is essentially apostate, but they have not gone into exile in, in uh, Babylon yet. And there were a number of the prophets of God where, I mean, there was just a really bad king, Ahab and his, and his wife Jezebel. Um, they were leading people into sin as fast as they could lead people into it. And... Um, God was working through the prophets at the time to declare their sin and to show that God was real still and cared about the, the nation. And Elijah was tired, man. He had been doing this. He had been persecuted. He thought he was the only one. It wasn't true, but he thought he was the only one following God. Um, he, he, was, he was getting tired and he needed, he needed somebody to take over. And God gave him Elisha as a disciple, um, he, he, uh, the Bible says that he washed the hands of Elijah was just to say a, a way of saying that he was an intimate disciple uh, in deep friendship, learning from the master. Um, and, and all of these things have kind of a parallel as if it's sort of pre-telling the story of Jesus uh, and the ascension of Jesus and the, and the coming of, of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to read the passage and just keep that in mind. So, 2 Kings 2, 7, actually just, okay, so Elisha's stories are my personal favorite in the Bible. I mean, there, there's some crazy, crazy stories. Okay, so, um, uh, like at the end of this chapter, chapter 2, there's, this, there's a story where, um, anybody ever seen Cheryl's t-shirt that says, respect your elders and has a picture of a bear? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you've seen that? Yeah. It comes from this story at the end of this chapter where I've got to ask somebody about it in heaven because I don't get why it's in there. But um, uh, there's, but I love it anyway. There, these, what, 42 youths were out walking around. They see Elisha, who, was, who had full head of hair like me, and, 
and uh, they go, they're like, yeah, yeah, go on up, you bald head, go on, well, it didn't translate well, right, it doesn't sound cool now, but go on up, you bald head, and <laughs> two bears come out of the bush and maul them, and they run off bleeding. It's like, this is, this is, this is in your Bible, it's in your Bible, um, so respect people who don't have a lot of hair, okay? So, <laughs> and, okay, years ago in our family, we would have these family game nights, and occasionally we would, we would do like a, uh, like a Bible skit or something, so we, were so, we were so Ned Flanders back then. Um, uh, and at one point, I gave, <laughs> I gave everybody a task of, you know, they had to work in pairs, and they had, they, they had to come up with a, a Bible story that they were going to act out. So Bethany and Josiah get together, and Beth, uh, Josiah found a bear costume that we had in the closet, and, and Bethany's like nine years old. She comes out, it's, it's like, I'm the judge of the, all the stories, right? I'd say, who's, who wins? So I come downstairs, and they've, they're, they're ready, and Bethany looks up at me with her squeaky nine-year-old voice, go on up, you bald head, go on up, you bald head, and then Josiah jumps out of the bathroom with his, with his bear costume on and goes, rawr, and then pretends to beat up Bethany, and it was beautiful. Um, has nothing to do with what I'm preaching about, but anyway. So 2 Kings 2, 7, 14. Fifty men of the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Because God, God had been telling the prophets and been telling Elijah and Elisha all independently that Elijah's time was up and he's, and he's, he's going to leave them now. Elijah took his cloak, rolled, up the, the, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. And the water divided to the right and to the left, and two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now, this isn't just a story that says, uh, the guys are too lazy to go find a bridge. This is a story that says that Elijah had the power of God for the nation of Israel. What does that remind you of? Red Sea, right? Where Moses spread the, the water and then the people walked through, or Joshua, even at this, this same river, the Jordan River crossing, the, the Jordan River. It means he's got the power of God for the nation. He's the one. Um, and that's important here because the whole question in this particular story as I go on is what about the power of God to do the mission? Uh, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? And he said, let me, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit. Most likely, I've thought about this a lot. There's people who don't see it this way, but I think this just means double portion is what, in a primogenitor society, uh, the oldest son would have twice, would receive twice as much as the other siblings because he's the one to carry on the name and the reputation. Um, that's an old system, but it, was, it would be called a double portion at that time. So he, he's saying, please let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, meaning I'm the one who's going to inherit the, the work. I need the ability. I need the power of God, the spirit. I need the spirit. Um, uh, Elisha, uh, no, yeah, Elisha re responded, you have asked a difficult thing, yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours, otherwise it will not. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire, um, I wonder if the, Cindy pointed this out, I wonder if that's actually where the, the movie name came from, Chariots of Fire, appeared and separated the two of them. 
and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this, that was the condition for him receiving it, right? Uh, and cried out, my father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha saw him no more. And he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Now what that, the, what, what uh, Elisha is saying is, my father is, is he's saying, my master, the one I've served under. But the chariots and horsemen of Israel, that means the power of God for Israel. Notice that, that it's the same imagery as in Pentecost, the wind and the fire, right? And notice also at the ascension of Jesus, they were standing there looking up and seeing Jesus go. And somehow that just, that kind of relates it to the, back to this story. They were watching him go. Elisha was able to see Elijah go. Um, but but the, this question of the, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel, all the power of God for the people of God is leaving going up to heaven, what am I going to do? Now, Elisha must have understood uh, something from the, from the ministry of Elijah, and that was that, that it's great, you can train me. Um, it's really cool that, that he learned from him, but the real key here is not learning. The real key is the power of the Spirit, and that's what Elisha is saying he needs. It's like, it's gone up to heaven, now what do I do? Um, Elisha picked up Elijah's cloak it's just a cloak but he's saying it's the, the, you often heard the word mantle used in prophetic circles this is what it's referring to the mantle of, 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 uh, of Elijah um, he picked up the Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood at the bank of the Jordan River and he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he struck the water with it. What's he doing? Now he's going to test. He's going to see, do I have the power? Is God with me or not? Why? Because it's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing that matters now. I've got this impossible mission. Like Elisha has got a, uh, he is the man of God for the, for the people of Israel who are completely apostate. They, Jezebel is hunting down the people of God to kill them. Um, he is to stand up and declare righteousness, declare their sins, um, and, and to lead people to a knowledge of God. He's going to need the power. That's why he takes the cloak and says, is it true for me too? It's gone up to heaven, but can I have this power now too? And I'm relating this to the, to the disciples in there. And when they went back to, to go pray in the upper room, I'm sure they understood the mission. I'm sure that there was some desperate crying out for God too. And, and you can hear this in the voice of Elijah, where he says, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? This is what I'm trying to get at this morning, Westview. This is where I'm, I'm trying to go. All of this was, was God's plan, and you can see it. Now, maybe just a little bit in more depth with, with Passover and, and uh, the original Pentecost at the mountain. But, but where this is all going is this deep desire to have and an understanding of our need for more of the Holy Spirit's power. That's where this is going. And can you, can you just hear for a minute, hear that cry in the voice of Elijah? Where, where now? Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? That's, that's the burning question for me. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Let's make it more modern. Where now is the Lord, the God of the New Testament of the book of Acts? Where is he? 
It's not a doubtful cry. It's a desperate cry. I need more. I believe it, but I need more. And like, like it says in, in Habakkuk, Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. I've read about it. I've got other people's stories. I've got a little bit of my own, some of my own. I'm not saying there's none. I'm just saying, but Lord, in our day and in our time, renew them. In our day and in our time, renew them. So I'm just going to go into prayer now, and then uh, we'll have a, a time of uh, Q&A. Let me just talk about this, and I just in, invite you, ask questions, or if you have something that you want to share about it that God's really pressing on your heart, God can speak through you too. Please feel free. But, but Lord, I pray that you would give, the, give this cry deeper and deeper in our hearts, Lord, an understanding that we need you. God, we're just, we're just a bunch of bushes. Lord, would you come and burn over us, Lord? Would you come and burn over us, Lord? Come and dwell in us, Lord. Give us that power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Chris. So I'm hearing this. I'm hearing this, man, because, yeah, we read the book of Acts, and there is something noticeably different about what we often see, and namely that is uh, power, miraculous things. Um, God's spirit seems to be at work in mighty, mighty ways. And so when Elisha said, where is the spirit of Elijah now, that desperate plea, like we have that, we can make that plea, and we can feel that. I've been feeling it. And as we feel that, we look to the scriptures and we see there's a promise for us that's upon us. There's a promise of power. So my question is, what do we do about it? <laughs> so now what? <laughs> so... so um... There's two parts, I believe. I mean, we've talked about this so many times, but but um, what is prayer, and what do you do with it, and how do you how do you go to God with a request? And, and there's there's two parts that I'm trying to emphasize this morning. One is building faith for it, and that's why we went back to the Old Testament, like Jesus did, to look at this was the plan all along. In in, in other words, it was intended for you. This isn't some weird request. Um, this was the plan. Right? So, first of all, building faith through that. And second, to encourage that desire, that cry. That, that, that we just go back to the Lord. Lord, I need more. Amen. Not saying we don't have any. I'm just saying, Lord, we need more. So, I just want to... That, that's where I'm going with this. is to encourage faith and that cry for more. Amen. Is there any uh, questions in the room? Because otherwise, I'm just going to... I'm just gonna go, cause I got. What? 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 Right here. I've been calling you Bernard, but that's your last name. What's your first name again? Huh? Linford. Linford. Yep, that's right, Linford. Where to read books of? Oh, turn down a little bit. Where to read the book of Acts? Acts tell us about. How to live, how to walk, and how to operate. Now, if Jesus gives us 
five ways to live right, per se, and we are only living four, the spirit will not abide with us forever. So we have to live as according to how Christ tells us to live. Right? So he said, believe on the Lord Jesus. Not only here, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. So once you believe in Jesus and you are saved, then you automatically will have the spirit of God within you. And what the spirit of God is within you, he said he gives some to be prophet, some to be teachers. He gives you all different type of diverse work that he gives you. The work that, he, that the spirit of God gives you, use that work that he gives you that, that arm, that's that arm, what would say no like. If he gives you the work of a teacher, don't try to fight for the work of a prophet. Use the work of a teacher, and when you master that, then you will get more on top of what he's giving you. Remember the guy with the talent that he said, he give one five, he give one two, and he give one one. The one that he give the two, work on it. The one that he give the five, work on it. The one that he give the one, dig hold. Yeah. And bury it. Yeah. So if you bury what God give you, yeah. there will be nothing to work on. Yeah. So you have to work with what God give you. And then when you work with what God give you, appreciate it. And yep. then you will have the spirit of God. It will motivate you. Yeah. That's good. Right? So let us hold on to Jesus Christ. Do what he said. Yeah. And then we will be all right. We will have a better church. That, that, that's a good word. That's a good word. You know what? I feel like that kind of answer is in part of what I've been saying in the sense of like, we hunger for more. Like, Lord, more of your power, more of your spirit, more of the gifts of your spirit. I want to see miraculous things. I want to, I want just the word to go out with power. And there's a great question of like, well, what are you doing with the level of, if I could use that word power that you have right now? What are you doing right now? Like, uh, that's, a, that's a good good question, isn't it? That's, that's awesome. And I want to just add to that and say, it's not just, it's not just for some people. It's not just for, for leadership. It's, it's that, that faithfulness of, of everybody. I, I just, just go back to the, to, um, I just want to, want to add this one part. Remember that the, the tabernacle that Moses had built, and there was this, during the day, there was like a pillar of cloud over it. At nighttime, there was a pillar of fire, right? And then in the New Testament, in, 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 um, in Pentecost, when, when the Holy Spirit came, it came in as a fire, but then the Bible says it divided and rested over people. It rested over everybody. And there was a strong message there saying, it used to be a tent of meeting, Moses was allowed in there. Now it's you, everyone. You are all a tabernacle. Whatever the gift God has given you, it's not for somebody else to go get it, it's for you. You are now the tabernacle with the fire of God and the presence of God there for you. Yeah. This is, this is a really good word, like, you know, uh, in the sense with the talents. Like, you've been faithful with little, here's more. Um, like, I just, I really do want more for us, but there is something about being faithful with where God has us right now as we're asking for more. Be faithful. I'm looking at my wife, and then I see behind him my neighbor Charles. Sorry, Charles, point you out there. But I just think, like, there was nothing miraculous going on. Like, I didn't see any miracle when I was like, Aaron, let's pray for that neighbor kid, you know. Neighbor kid. Not really a kid, but fair enough, old people. Let's pray. Let's invite that neighbor kid over for dinner. 
you know? And it's a little like, why would he want to hang out with us, you know? There was, there, was, there was nothing miraculous. There was no, I didn't have any miracle that day. But God was working miracles. And I bring it up just to say, like, let us be faithful with the level where we're at, where we do have the power right now to pray for our neighbors. And that's, that's a big part of this. We do have the power to pray for our neighbors. We do have the power to invite them into our lives, to share our lives with them, uh, which is just a big part of this calling. Like, let us be faithful with that as we're asking for more, as we're asking for the great strength of Elijah and to see the miraculous things in the way that we think of them, you know? But it's just, it's just such a great exhortation of while we wait, uh, while we wait in the times and the seasons um, and we ask for more and our faith is strengthened and challenged, um, but, but uh, let us be faithful. Wow, okay. Um, uh, there's some things coming in right now. And this, uh, this is something, you know what? The, the band's gonna have to come up soon because I gotta run in the back. We got some baptisms happening soon. This just came in through the text line. Sometimes it can be your perception. A small miracle can be the Holy Spirit. Stop believing in coincidence and luck. <laughs> You have any thoughts on that? Yeah, when you're seeking God, uh, yeah, um, was it? Um, any of you guys do the Bible in one year with Nicky Gumbel? Um, uh, he has this. Yeah, he, he said in there at one point. He's the, the Alpha Course guy. Does a Bible in one year devotional thing. Anyway, he says in there, coincidences happen to everybody. When I'm, but when I'm praying for them, they happen a lot more. <laughs> um. I, I like what this is getting at, and what this is getting at is something that's actually been on my mind. I, I was thinking about it when Chris was preaching. I was thinking about it just like a couple minutes ago. Uh, what this is getting at is like, why are you doubting? Stop doubting. I mean, it's like uh, you see like something that could be a coincidence, you could doubt. And I feel like that's something that God's really been speaking to me. You know, when Jesus uh, was walking on water and Peter's like, Call me so I can do that too. Like, call me out to you. And I mean, I feel like that's kind of where I've been at. That's where we're at. Like, Lord, we want, we want that miraculous, like, walk on water so that the world will know, so we can be your witnesses. And Jesus is like, okay, let's do it. And Peter starts to go out, and at first it's going good. But then what happened? He started to get scared. And, you know, he started to sink, and Jesus helped him. But then Jesus said to him, why did you doubt? And that's just like um, a few days ago, I had um, a situation where I just prayed for something that I feel like God needs to do something great. And like a situation where I just felt like God needs to show himself, like for real, like soon. Like there's kind of like a timeline, like before this date, like I need God to do something. And I prayed for it. And then like, what do I do after that? After I pray, what do I do? when I know the clock is ticking. Once in a while, I think, well, what if he doesn't do it? What if nothing? And then I've been hearing that voice, like, why do you doubt? Like, stop doubting. Stop doubting. I don't know, that's just kind of a tangible thing that I've been working on is like, stop doubting. Like, I'm going to ask for these great things. I'm going to ask for God's power. And then what do I do after I ask? You know? Uh, I'll take that one, yeah. You'll take it? <laughs> I'll okay. Take that one. Amen. Okay.